This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, welcome to Journey to Greatness number seven. If you haven't joined our WhatsApp group, please sign up now. If you haven't, you know, can't make the same joke twice. But if, if you haven't, if you haven't um, signed up at NASANow.com, definitely do that as well. All right, so tonight's idea is, I believe, um, a very fundamental idea, not just to a person's own development, but within the stages of a person's growth, different stages that a person will arrive at, I think that this concept is something that really takes a lot of, I'm going to call it mental, but really like emotional energy, something that really takes a consciousness and an awareness in order to internalize. And I'll explain to you what I mean as we go on. So there, there is this idea that I would say to you, what is marriage? So if you listen to any of the Journey to, to, to Unity, yeah, so it's called Journey to Unity series, um, the one word that you'll hear over and over and over when you go to college classes, Mr. Shem, when you hopefully don't end up in my office, Mr. Shem, you'll, you'll, you'll hear the same word over and over and over. And that is that what marriage is, is, is kasher. It's a connection. It's a connection with somebody else. Now, what is the first step to connecting with somebody else? And what he talks about in Chayvis HaTalmidim is the concept of kasher atzmi, a connection with oneself. So, the metaphor, if you will, if you think about it, is almost like an esrig. And then at the top of the esrig, where like the esrig has like that small area on top, that, if you draw a line there, you imagine that that up there is what's sort of what we show the world. So in the world of guys, there's like fist bumps, yo bro, how you doing? Everything's great. You know, like a whole handshake and they give each other a pat on the back and then you move on with your life. How you doing? Baruch Hashem, Baruch Hashem, Baruch Hashem. But like within the, the body of the esrig, or like the iceberg, which is beneath the water, that's sort of where a person's penimius really lies. So the, the, one of the things that a person needs to do to master internal greatness is you can't master something, you don't even know what it is. So the first concept is the concept called Kesher Atzmi, that a person would be very wise to actually take time to connect to themselves, to get to know yourself. We always talk about when it comes to dating, dating yourself. Before you date somebody else, date yourself. Hi, what are your hobbies? What are your interests? That's above the line. Who are you really? What is your potential? What are you scared of in life? What are your fears? What could you become in 20 years from now? Who are you? What is your like shirish of your neshama inside? That concept is called kesher atzmi. Developing a relationship, a real relationship with yourself. There's a lot of stories I can't say, but I'll just give you like a broad thing. There's been many people who have called me and, and started talking about a guy that they were thinking of dating, already dating, engaged to and thinking of breaking it off, or an ex, let's call it, meaning they went out, they got married, and then, you know, it's on to round two. And a lot of times when I'll ask them, so tell me about your dating process, or why did you go out with the guy? What was your motivation? What did you see there? Oftentimes, it's just above the line. They only see the flashy car and the 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 shallow parts of things, the chitzainiest things, the things that's not real, it's not long-term. Other times they themselves don't even know what they're really looking for or why they're looking for this. I had a girl who called me, I'll tell you a small story. Okay. She, she called me that she was looking for a guy who was going to like, no matter what, is going to learn for a hundred years, like learn for the rest of his life, which is beautiful. Everybody should do that. Halavai by everybody. Okay. 
but it's not for everybody. For some people, it's challenging to support that. This girl, when I was talking to her, it was very clear that emotionally and really in every other way, she was so unprepared for what other people had told her she needs to look for. She wasn't prepared. She wasn't prepared for the lifestyle. She wasn't prepared for for everything that went along with it. She was just not prepared. This girl had not dated herself. She had ideas planted in her mind that she needs this. This is what you need to look for. And when we started breaking it down, she was realizing that a lot of the hesitation, the reason why she kept saying no and no and no and no to guys that on paper made sense was because her resume and their resumes on paper made sense. This guy wants to learn for 100 years. You want you want a guy who's going to learn for 100 years. Beautiful. When it came down to it and the guy started talking like, so therefore like, you know, our car is going to be, you know, we'll buy one for like the next 75 years. And, you know, and like, you know, and my flip phone and the way like his concept of chenach and like on, on Cholomite, he's going to learn till three in the afternoon and they'll go to a free concert and then he'll, he'll learn from four till 12 o'clock at night. He's like, wait, what? I, I didn't sign up for this. And it's like, well, sort of you did. She just didn't realize what it all entailed. She had no concept. She hadn't dated herself to understand what this like idea that was inside of her sort of played itself out. So the first concept is a simple concept. Simple, you know, it's not simple. The first like, concept is a is simple to say, which is a person has to take time to date themselves. And I'm not just talking about dating yourself just for dating yourself, just to date somebody else. I'm not saying it in terms of dating. I'm saying dating in terms of understanding who you really are. Why does this thing get you upset? Think about it. Like sometimes you'll read something in the news or you'll hear something or somebody will do something at work and you'll get like really upset and other people are like, hey, it's fine, no big deal. Why? Why does something bother you versus somebody else? Why doesn't it bother them and it does bother you? What I'm trying to drive at is that every person is different. And a lot of times we sort of just go along with the flow. This is who I am. I don't know. No, there's usually something underlying, which if you spend the time to understand it, it will reveal a lot about yourself. So that's the first concept. Now, if you take this a little bit further, and this is what he talks about, he talks about the idea that within, let's call it the iceberg that's underneath the water, within there, there's a lot of midos. There's good midos, there's bad midos, and then there's midos which are unchanneled. And I, I want to focus on this concept tonight. What does that mean that there are midos that are unchanneled? It means that a person has within them a lot of things which you have to know what to do with it. If you don't know what to do with it, for example, anger, you say anger's bad, anger's a bad meter, right? Don't be angry. Sometimes anger does have a place. Sometimes sadness has a place. Sometimes being cheap and stingy has a place. Everything has a place. And what he talks about is the idea of Kesher Atzmi connecting to yourself to think through all the various midos that you have, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and the potential, right? The good, the bad, and the un, unexplained, let's call it, or undefined, I guess that would be probably a better word, and to work within those midos, sort of like a juggling act, to work on them, to make them find the right place in your life. And if you do that, then you start to maximize your life. Now, I'll give you a small example, a small marriage example, without going into like all the details. Um, small marriage example. So when when I got married, many of you probably know my wife as like the greatest college teacher since college teachers began, of course, right? But a little newsflash, my wife didn't start out that way. And then when we got married, she was very hesitant to even go into this world of becoming a marriage teacher, a college teacher. I believed in her. Like I saw like a certain 
potential in there that I encouraged and pushed. And she was like, no, no, it's not. It's really not for me. I don't know. Right. And then over the years, I was like, let's just learn the material. Like, let's just study it as if it's just for us, for ourselves. And it became this journey of just us learning it until the point, until the point where there was somebody who reached out there and said like, Hey, um, I'm looking for a college teacher. Do you know anybody good? And I was like, yeah, like, like, you know, and she was like, no, it's, it's a, nah. So I said, maybe teacher as a friend, not as a college teacher. And that girl became her first of hundreds of colleges that she had taught because the girl was like, you're the best college teacher ever. And she's like, oh, that's amazing. But I'm not really a college teacher. She's like, no, you are because you just taught me and I'm a kala. And that like sort of started the journey. And I'm trying to drive it is that there's a lot of times where within somebody else you see an inner potential. You might see an inner flaw. And within yourself, you might say, you know, I think that I can work on a certain mida or a certain goal or a certain chachma, whatever the case may be. Okay. That concept is called kesher either with yourself, kesher atzmi, or kesher with somebody else. You see something that maybe not everybody else recognizes, not everybody else sees, but you do. You see it. And what do you do about it? You spend the time to cultivate it. And when you do that, in the long run, you have Paris for like the rest of your life. So that's the first idea. The next concept down here, and to be very honest with you, I think this is something that we need to talk about maybe after in the Q&A because I haven't fully digested this a million percent it's the concept that there are certain things he refers to two specifically that a person on their own can focus on and work on without any outside help okay one of them he calls chachma and one of them he calls gvura so chachma and gvura all of the midos of a person a person can say to himself in the morning get up and be like i want to be strong you can you can Fill yourself up with a certain energy, right? Somebody, let's not take somebody else and bring them into the picture for a minute. A person who wants to like strengthen themselves or a person wants to like really concentrate on a problem, you can enhance your chachma or you can enhance your kayach without any external stim, like stimulate, like stimuli. Okay. But when it comes to other things within your life, such as anger, such as anivos, such as kimots, over there, a person needs a challenge in order to truly actualize it. I'll explain to you what I mean. Let's say a person sits in their room, right? And they decide on their own, I'm going to develop love for somebody. Or I'm going to, I'll give you a better example. There's like the Powerball now is like, I don't know, $500 million, right? And like last year, it was like $1.3 billion, like crazy numbers, right? If I would say to you then, right? Like, tell me how you're going to spend this money. So everyone, I'm sure you thought about it if you bought a ticket, right? Like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to start an organization and get tzedakah. I'm going to have somebody manage tzedakah. Like, you have it all figured out, right? In theory, it's all very nice, right? It's beautiful. I'm saying everybody's changing the world with all that money. It's very rare that somebody actually wins the Powerball and like all of a sudden changes, changes the world. It's very rare that that actually happens. Usually they, they, they go broke they gamble it away their friends and their family take advantage of them all of a sudden they go into like crazy investments they have no idea what they're doing they're suicidal they're manic they have no friends anymore their 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 family alienates them what happened the whole world bought a ticket everyone had like these dreams how they're gonna like yeah i'm gonna put aside i'm gonna invest i'm in a certain yield and they have like everything figured out and then all of a sudden, everybody who wins the lottery, like statistically, like 80, 90% of people who win the lottery, their lives are ruined, totally destroyed. Why? Well, you were sitting in your house with that ticket and you're like, yeah, you know what I would do? And you're like, you, you know, like you're talking to your friend. And they, oh, you know what I would do? You have it all figured out. But the minute you actually win, your life just goes off the rails. Why? You had it all figured out before you won. The answer is because it was just in theory. 
in theory, in your brain, you had it all figured out. In practice, when your friends are knocking at the door and your neighbor, I just need a million dollars. You just want $500 million. Just a million dollars. You don't understand what it is. It's going to change my life. You don't realize how that challenge of money is something that you're not really prepared for. In, in your mind, you might be the calmest person in the world, the calmest person until you get married. You might be like me. I never got into a fight with anybody. I'm so calm and serene. And then somebody dents your car. They smash into your car in the parking lot. And what happens? Lose your mind. Why? Because in your, in your room, you were calm. In, in your house, in your mind, in your brain, you were calm. On, on, on Instagram, you're calm. You know i Everything looks perfect when you want it to look perfect. But when you're challenged and all of a sudden you get hit with something, you're like, oh my gosh, my car is wrecked. Now, now is when a person actually has the opportunity to work on Amida to make it real. And this is what he talks about. In our minds, if I would say to you right now, write down all your milas on, on, on all the midos. Everybody would say, I'm, 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 I have money figured out. I have anger figured out. Anivas, I'm right in the middle. Not too much. Not too this, right? Calm. Ain't. We would go down the list. Everybody would give themselves like a perfect score. And yeah, in theory, perfect score. But when you're challenged, if you want to know like, how is it that when you're sitting at a wedding and somebody like, oh, whoops, and they spill like a whole bottle of wine on your white gown. Hopefully, whatever, beige gown, whatever. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like all of a sudden, like your gown is like wrecked at the wedding and you're just like, oh, wow, okay. And you're just totally calm. How does a person get to that level? Because they had opportunities that tested them, almost like an emotional gym throughout their life that got them to that level, okay? So first idea is a person realizing that I have within me midos. What are those midos? Well, nice, I'm good, I'm calm, whatever. Okay, fine. But by the way, most of those midos are unchanneled. You really don't know where they are until somebody bangs them, until you make the money, until somebody smashes your car door, until whatever goes on in your life. And at that moment, you discover who you really are. At that moment, you discover who you really are. And I'm going to split this into two. There's the midos, the lower midos, and then there's the higher midos. Explain to the, I'll explain this to you in, in, in my own words. Okay. I'll call this like the tita and the ilah. Tita is like the lower and ilah is the higher. The lower mida, for example, love. If I would say to you, is love a good mida? Love is a great mida, right? Everybody could relate to it. Love is a great mida. Yeah. Except that the lowest mida of love is that you love yourself, money, right? You, you love your, coat, your clothes, you love food, you love, you have a connection to things, a very deep feeling towards things that are very base. They're very low. They're not really, they're not really high. They're not ila. They're not, they're not elevated. They're not, they're not like on a hechra madrega. So the base mida of all of your midos will naturally be by default tita. They will naturally be low. That means if I say to you right now, like, have you worked on love? Most people are like, worked on love? Like, what are you talking about? You fall in love, right? Everybody knows that, right? You fall in love, right? Or somebody sweeps you off your feet and then you develop love, right? No, you work on love. Ace lahayv, there's a time to love. Well, where is that time to love? The answer is throughout your life, you will have many opportunities to arouse within yourself the feeling of love for different things. You see a tzaddik and he's like, what? I love that. 
I love seeing, uh, what was that thing called? Adiria Tera. Like, I love that. Like, you, you develop a feeling of love towards things that are high up, that are ilah, that are elevated. If a person does not do that, then by default, your feelings of love will be towards things that are very base. So if somebody would say to you, like, what do you miss in this world? I miss my makeup, my eyeliner, and my clothes, and my car. Because that's where you have strong feelings towards, things that are very base. Not that any of those things are whatever. Obviously, in its own place, yada, 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 disclaimer here, okay? So every single person has within them feelings that are good, naturally, that are not so good. But most of your midos, it's up to you. You get to decide on your own where you channel and where you put those things towards. My wife is telling me, like, the concept of anger. She always says this. What is anger? Does anger have a place? Sure, anger has a place. Anger is when somebody does something that breaks or violates a certain rule that you have. That's anger. So when that rule is that you can't break a $5 mug, that's pretty low. But when it's when you see something in the world that's an injustice, something that's like chilashem, that should arouse within you, there's a time to say, that's not right. That's not right. I have to take a stance over here. There's a time to give taichacha. There's a time to like allow things to break those rules and for you to feel a feeling as opposed to just simply being apathetic to the whole world. Whatever happens, happens. It's fine. It's great. Rabbi Berkowitz always would say that many Americans move to Eretz Yisrael and they're almost like shocked if you've been in seminary, like in Israel, you know what I'm talking about, where the like you'll get on the bus and somebody will be like, no, give it. Like, and you're like, whoa, like you're, you're not my friend, but there's a certain forwardness where, where in Israel, it's like, it's like, yeah, I am your friend. I'm your sister. I'm your cousin. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, what are you doing? You know what I'm saying? They, they, they're very in your face. They're very real with a lot of their emotions. And Rebecca always would say in America, we're, we're very PC. We're very politically correct. Like, oh no, chas v'shalom. Like we don't want to offend anybody. And, and we're very like into that world of being very calm, very nice, and we see people taking a stance against things, oftentimes we're like, oh my gosh, that's like, that's like shocking. Like, I can't believe these people are like standing up for something. It's, it's like so, so not nice. It's so not nice, but they have a certain, a certain realness to them. Like that's Chil Shabbos. That's Chil Kvarim. Like what's going on over here? There's a breach of Tznias. Now you might say the way they go about things, fine, fine, agree, but there's a realness. They have, they have their anger hopefully in the right place. It's not, the guy's not smashing his wife and smashing his kids and smashing a car and then going out and smashing somebody, you know, like, oh, I think that this is Chilo Shabbos. No, the guy's the nicest, calmest, sweetest person. It just bothers him to no end. That's a real, that's a real yid. That's a real yid. He, he has his anger in the right place. I'm not, I'm not saying that all the things that people do in all these protests are correct. They're very much, very much wrong, many of the things. But you can at least appreciate the realness. This person has his anger in the right place. I remember once on the Shabbaton, at the end of the Shabbaton, there was a woman who came over to me and she said, I want to tell you that I heard the absolute nicest, um, inspirational thing on the Shabbaton I want to share with you. So I was like, oh, let me hear. She said it was from your wife. I was like, oh, okay, let's hear. So, right, because my wife didn't speak on that Shabbaton. So I was like a little surprised. I was like, oh, really? What did she tell you? So this woman was saying how 
again, without getting into uh, too many details, she had dedicated a large portion of her life to be compassionate for certain people. Like she spends a lot of her time and her energies being very compassionate. And her, her family was saying to her, it's very nice that you're doing all these things, but like, <laughs> what about us? Like, we need food. We need, you know, a mother. We need, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you're not, you're not here for us. So she went over to my wife and she said, tell me, like, honestly, are you, like, I see your husband's busy with all these, you know, all these people. Like, where are you in the picture? So my wife said to her, very short, she said, when I'm number one, everyone else could come number two. And that was the whole conversation. And this woman, just from that one comment, I'm number one, everyone else could come number two. This woman sat down and she realized, oh my gosh, my family's not number one. That means that my compassion needs to be redirected. I think it's amazing. I think like it's Elah. I think it's like elevated. Yeah, I'm doing the right thing. Maybe. But maybe it's like a notch down. Maybe your real compassion needs to start at home. Maybe the people around you first need to feel fulfilled that they have the people that they need. And only then can you start putting your compassion towards other people. This idea is a really powerful idea because a lot of times we, we say, what do you mean? But I'm doing a good thing. I'm doing a chesed. Of course you're doing a chesed. But at what expense? On, on the scale of one to a hundred, where does this fit? Does this really, really fit towards the top? Or is this perhaps maybe a little bit lower than that? And you find a lot of people who have channeled even certain negative feelings, feelings of despondency. If I would say to you, is despondency a good media? You're like, no, it's terrible, right? You should ever, never be despondent, right? There, there are major organizations, major organizations that were started from people who went through real serious crises in their life. And they said, I never, I want to feel the feeling of somebody else who might feel this feeling and then start a world-renowned organization that's going to help people never feel this feeling. As opposed to just being apathetic. Yeah, it's fine. It's cool. It's good. No, they were real with their feelings and their emotions. And they were able to channel that into something really good. I once went to a Leviah and it was very, very sad. Like everyone was very shocked that like, you know, this person died and everything. And they got up and like before they even started saying to Hillam in the beginning, everyone was already like, you know, like about to burst into tears. And they said to Hillam, the people were already like sobbing and sniffling. And they said, the, the nifter, Ask that there be no hespedim. Kalmali Rahman. They just, that was the whole thing. And I'm telling you, there was like a thousand people there. Everyone was stuck. Like your emotions were just stuck. Like, like you want to cry. You want to hear. You want to like let it out. You want to feel. You want to do tshuva. You want to think about the Ilama Emes. Stuck. Stuck. Ace Livchais. There's a time to cry. There's a time to cry. A Leviah has has paid them generally because there's a time for this. The Gemara says it's better for a person to go to a Leviah than to go to a wedding. Because what a person can be misire at a, at, at a, at a Leviah is more than a person. By a wedding, yeah, you, you dance around, it's gishmak. But what you could accomplish within yourself by standing at a Leviah is unbelievable. And in this circumstance, it was like, ugh, it was like stuck. This sad emotion, you think sadness doesn't really have a place? We're Jews. It's true. But you also have a midah called sadness. If you didn't feel sadness, somebody something would happen. And you'd just be like, okay, oh well. It happens. <laughs> Move on with your life. No, Navach, there's somebody who's sick. They're in the hospital. Whatever the feeling is, to channel that feeling 
ace love, ace list, all these concepts, if you want to take them to a certain level, it's a consciousness. It's an awareness. Yes, I do have anger. Yes, people do cross the line. Yes, I do have despondency. Yes, sometimes I need to be cheap. I need to learn to say no sometimes, to not spend money on things. There's a time for that. Everything has a time. If you develop it, then, then you're, then you're doing it. You know what I'm saying? Then you're, you're on, you're on a certain journey. Now, I think that there's three steps to this. I think three, maybe three questions that a person needs to ask themselves. The first question is sort of taking a couple minutes, just really just thinking. I, I've spoken about this concept before, the concept of bittal. Bittal simply means be mavatal yourself. You're not here as a body. You're here as a neshama. Now fly up to the Ilamamas. Sit down right next to the Kisei HaKavad. Just sit down. And just look down at earth. Just have that perspective for just a minute. Just internalize the fact that Hashem controls the world. Hashem runs the world. Just feel that feeling. The pain of the Shekhinah. The Simcha of somebody who's learning or doing Chesed. Or looking out for somebody else. Just feel that feeling. By the way, when somebody spills wine on you then, you won't care. If you like really internalize that feeling enough, somebody will spill a bottle of wine on you and you'll be like, oh, are you okay? You won't not, not that they're, not that you're like, and she didn't apologize and she just ran off. No, you'll be like, it's fine. Because from that perspective, from that bitthal perspective, from that perspective, from the Ulama MS, you, you literally like, you see the world different. You feel different feelings. And those feelings will carry over to a lot of other things that you have in, in your life. And I said, the second thing is you now say to yourself, okay, but I'm not in that world. I'm in this world. So now am I on a mission? Is my life guided towards that light? Am I, am I living on a daily basis or a weekly basis with those feelings? Am I connecting when I'm davening? Am I connecting when, when Shabbos? Am I connecting? Am I connecting at all? Is my day have meaning, real meaning? Does my sadness have its right place? Does my anger have its right place? Do my feelings have the right feelings? Do I feel correctly? We live in a world where it's like, this is my truth, right? Feel free to speak your truth. It's not the truth. That doesn't matter. But my truth, that's what matters. And if you have feelings, then you could express any feeling you want, because why not, right? Freedom of speech, sure. And there's a platform today. You could have millions of people listening to your feelings on anything. And of course it matters because that's what matters, right? You become an influencer. At a certain point, you become an influencer. You get to influence how other people feel because you've taught them how to feel. All about what? That you got a new coat or that you went out to a fancy restaurant. It's like, it's sick. It's not, it's not even normal. But when we, when we, when we live gehaibin, when we live a certain uplifted lifestyle, you put things into perspective. Am I on a mission? Are, are my feelings right? Is my perspective right? Is my thought right? You're questioning yourself. You're actually like, am I right? You know what I mean? I, I, I say this a million times, but I sit with couples all the time that are not seeing eye to eye on things. And the first session, I always let them tell me what the other person did wrong. So they sit down and they go, oh, my wife is the worst. Like, okay, get it out. Let's go. Do it, do it once, you know? And then the wife does the same thing. Yeah, he's the worst guy in the world. Okay, and I say, great. And now we're never going to talk about that person ever again. From here on in, we're only talking about you. So I talk to the wife. I, only want to, I don't want to hear your husband's name. Okay, I don't want to hear it. Let's just talk about you. Where's your role? Take responsibility for where you fit into the picture. And then the same thing with the husband. Of course, there's the validation of the person, you know, who did all those things. 
But 99% is a focus on yourself. And it's shocking. It's not shocking, but it's shocking how you see people who come in with like a certain fire. And in the second or third meeting, they're like, I messed up. I don't know what I was doing. I'm sorry. I don't know what's going on here. Nobody taught me. I just didn't have chasen class. I don't know what to tell you. And my parents messed me up. Like, you know, like they just, it becomes real then. It's like, yeah, okay, I got it. Where they come in on like fire and brimstone, how like everyone else is wrong. All of a sudden, like it's, it's a changed perspective. Like, let, let's stop with the games. Let's, let's talk. Like, are you, are your feelings right? Is that comment correct? So that's, I think the second thing. Like, am I on a mission? And I would say that sort of segues into the third thing, which is being self and let's call it analytical, not critical, but you know, you're analyzing yourself. You're thinking about yourself. Why? Why did I just say that comment? Am I, am I like socially off? <laughs> like, meaning do I feel awkward in a social situation? Like, where is that? Where, where is that? Why, why did I make that comment? Why did I do that deal? Why did I just say this? Why did I just send that email? Why can't I control whatever it is? And, I think this is the nakuda that a person actually starts to develop a feeling. It's otherworldly. It's like a feeling of like, you're touching your neshama. You're feeling your neshama. We spoke about how your midos are like attached to your neshama. Hashem has 13 midos. We have 13 midos, right? Hashem has yilgimu midos arachamim. We have 13 midos as well. We spent the whole series on that, right? A person has midos. When your midos are like in line, and your midos are like, real you're like wow this is so good this feeling is so good i know what it means to feel real sadness i know what it means to feel real happiness and this takes me to the last idea is that over the course of the last i would say 10 12 years i sat with many many people who've gone through various forms of abuse and there's an amazing thing that the body or really the mind the body sort of remembers. There's actually a book called The Body Keeps the Score. But the mind very often will block things out so that it doesn't have to deal with like an awareness of something that was very uncomfortable. I had a guy who once came to me. We started talking and he was telling me about like his, I don't know, I, this, everything he was saying no to like every girl. And then at one point I said, I said, okay, it's very interesting. Um, can we, can we start talking about, you know, we started having a little bit of a broader conversation and without getting into too much detail about the concept of abuse and what it does to a person, um, it became very apparent after like a couple minutes that like this person was abused. They, they just, they, they were the only one that didn't know it. It was so apparent. Like, and I, and at one point I said, tell me about whatever. And like they, a certain name came up. And the person's eyes like opened up. I said, what was that? Well, what just happened there? And they were like, I don't know. I don't like, I don't know what's happening right now. And, and it was, it was like a revelation of like 20 years earlier, sort of flooding back to this person. I've spoken this to many, um, people who deal with trauma, trauma therapists, and it's not an uncommon thing. People literally suppress and they have absolutely no awareness. Why? Because that awareness is so acute. It's painful. It's hard to live with that reality. So the person suppresses it. And part of the trauma therapy is sort of in their own way, deal with it and, and work through those feelings. What am I driving at? Is that now take a person, put them in a box and a coffin, put them underground six feet, but they're still alive. Okay. No, not, not in that way. I mean, imagine a person could live forever and they're sort of just literally trapped just with their mind. Think about this for just a minute. You're just trapped with your mind. 
what does that feel like? So obviously he's claustrophobic. You want to get out of the box, right? He can't, right? But, but getting past the physical discomfort, let's like separate because we, we're talking about having a neshama perspective. What is your neshama? Neshama is you, your feelings, your memories, right? All of that, if you think about it, that, that awareness, let's talk about the neshama in terms of awareness. That awareness is nitzri. It's eternal. And the Swarm talk about how what a person feels for eternity depends on what you utilize these 70, 80, 90 years that we have here. That feeling. But what's that feeling? We say, I'm so close. What's that feeling? This is the feeling. It's a certain feeling that you can tap into when you're sad, when you're angry, when you're cheap. Those are the bad sides. When you're happy for the right reason. When you have your midos aligned, gehaven, uplifted, the right direction, the right kavana, the right place. You see the world, you perceive the world, you feel the world through a certain lens. And that lens is like beautiful. You know why? Because it's so clear. And you know what else it is? It's emes. It's true. And then when a person goes to the ilam, ha-emes, a certain truth, a certain clarity. It's like, yes, the shechina is in pain. Yes, your car getting dented, not that important. Yes, somebody spilling something on you, not that important. It puts your whole perspective on the world in the right perspective. Now, it's hard, obviously, but we lay out over here how to do it. And if, if a person does that, if a person actually takes the time, it could be a few minutes a day, to feel certain feelings, then it starts to have a ripple effect. The, the way I like to imagine it in my mind is almost like a tablecloth, where like if you take one piece of the tablecloth, like you pick it up like five feet, everything else sort of goes up. And then you pick up another side, and then like it goes up more. Our, our, this is the way I like to imagine it. It's almost like like a, like a connection. When a person does, like all, all of the parts of us are connected. You understand what I'm saying? Like if a person starts to lift one area of his life, not only do you feel sadness in the right time, but you're also calmer in another time. Not only are you, are you, are you not throwing away money for like stupid reasons, kimots, like you've mastered that, but in another area of your life, you figure out how to like channel it correctly. When you work on one side of things, on one meet in one area, it oftentimes brings up another area. A person who does that achieves and unlocks almost like a superhuman level within Greatness. Greatness is not necessarily that you're changing the world as much as you're changing your own world. You're changing your perspective of the world. You're changing the way you, you view things, the way you process things and who you are. And not only does it change you, but by default, it changes the people around you. Little things, being calmer around your family members, around your husbands, your children, your parents, your coworkers, those little things has a ripple effect. We don't think about it like that, but it does. And where does that come from? It comes from a few minutes a day, internalizing a certain feeling, realizing that within all of us are these midos. And if you take those midos and channel them correctly, then you could really achieve a deep level of greatness. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.